Your subject warning. Tonight's podcast contains material that some people may find objectionable. That's fine. Not every podcast is going to be for everyone. All I would suggest is check out another episode of this podcast and have a great evening. Everyone else, you've been warned. Was A Quiet Place inspired by signs that comes at night in War for the Planet of the Apes? Was Ready Player One influenced by Avatar, Wreck-It Ralph, and The Last Starfighter? Is a hurricane heist more influenced by Sharknado or Geostorm? These are the kinds of questions my guest co-host and I discuss on my podcast, Piecing It Together. Every week, we look at a new movie and try to figure out what other movies inspired it, whether it's the story, the character development, tone, or even use of music. Every movie was influenced by something that came before, and we want to figure out what. Check out Piecing It Together on your favorite podcast app or check us out on piecingpod.com. You can also follow us on social media at piecingpod. Piecing It Together is a part of the All Points West Podcast Network. This is Jamie Stoker, most of the webcomics reviews and interviews. Tonight, it's critical misses, so sit back, relax, and let the Geek Fest begin. Here's the deal. You have to realize that critics can tell a rookie writer. Everybody's making the same basic mistakes. They've been making them since the caveman. They're making them now. And they're going to make them way in the future when we colonize the entire universe. It's just straight up. The same mistakes are going to be done over and over and over again because they're part of the process of learning how to write. I mean, it's sort of like watching a baby learning to walk, where you basically have this really cute kid tripping, he's stumbling, and he's falling flat on his face. And then he gets up again and repeats the process. It's something that has to happen in order for the kid to learn. There's nothing we can really do about it, and we can show him a little bit better ways to do what he's trying to do, but at the same time, the bottom line is that he's the one who's going to have to trip and stumble and fall in order to learn how to do what he does. It's just, unfortunately, part of the process. The problem is that a lot of these babies tend to grow up and to be teenagers. This means, of course, that we have to deal with three basic approaches, and it gets sort of fun. Not fun in a good sort of way, but fun in a, oh my gosh, again. The problem is, is that you have three basic type of writers that tend to basically, well, stop where they are and don't really want to progress any further. And it's not saying that these are bad things. It's just sometimes you want to get progressed as a writer, you have to get past these three basic stages. The first one, obviously, is going to be the first thing is trying to just get in the car and push the envelope as far as you can. Don't get me wrong. We've all been teenagers. We've all had a car. We've all had a bike, a skateboard, something with wheels, or basically something allowed us to go fast. And we pushed that thing to see just how far we can go. You know, it's part of human nature. Of course, we have professionals who do this, and we call them NASCAR drivers and test pilots. But at the same time, those aren't exactly safe professions. That's, you know, they're being pushed and pushed, and they have a limited career life. Let's just put it that way. The problem is, is that you've got a lot of people that will keep pushing the envelope rather than trying to sit back and look around and, well, smell the roses. You as a writer have to smell the roses after you push the envelope. You have to figure out what's going on, what you've done, and what's going on in the area around you before you can actually do that again. If you do it way too often, it's going to be fun to watch, but it's also going to get really boring and it's not really going to do as much as you think because you're all of a sudden starting to push a lot of envelopes that you simply don't have the skills to back. Because of that, you're going to crash and burn, and it's going to be fiery, it's going to be nasty, and it's going to be time to go on to the next guy, you know? So, don't get crazy about pushing the envelope. Every once in a while, sit back, relax, and look around you and see what you've done, and get a little bit better right where you're at before you push off to the next envelope, okay? At the other extreme, you've got the guy who wants it safe and secure. He wants to go into basically the same 
Rudd and Tap, pretty much everybody else is gone. You know, it's safe, it's secure, it's a known entity, it's really easy to track down and easy to figure out what's going on, but it doesn't really help you as a writer. All you're doing is basically getting a little bit better, and you're not really advancing all that far. In order to advance, you basically have to take what you know and go into the woods off on your own. You have to explore some weird paths. You have to basically look where everything is going, and you have to basically go out and find that bear. You know, I mean, it's a weird analogy, but look at it this way. When you start looking at all the old masters, when you start looking at Picasso, when you start looking at Salvador Dali, when you start looking at even some of the comic greats like Jack Kirby, you know, you start noticing that even though they basically did stay to the main path for a little while, they had no problem branching off just to see what else was out there. Without that exploration, without going on and taking some serious risk, you as a writer will never get past the level where you're at. You need to go out and just have fun. Get away from the golden path as far as you possibly can and see what's out there. No, it's not always going to pan out. In fact, most of the time it won't. That's fine. The point isn't that you basically did found this really cool thing out here in the middle of the woods that nobody's been out there before. The cool thing is, is that you got away from where everybody else was and actually had a little bit of fun on your own. Yeah, you may eventually go back to the main path and you will probably end up doing like everybody else does and going to the main path for a little while and striking out on your own, either finding something you really like or something you really hate and then head back to the main path for a little while. That's fine. That is a little bit of character growth, and that's fine. That's something you need to do as a writer again. You know, just as much as you push the envelope, sometimes you need to basically take a step back. But don't stay in a resting spot for too long. And then, of course, there's the rebel. The rebels are, well, there's the good rebels and there's the bad rebels. I prefer good rebels, but bad rebels... See, the problem is that you've got a lot of people that think that rebelling for the sake of rebelling is... Great, and well, it's not. If you're ever going to rebel, you need to basically tear something down. Fine, but you also need to build something up. You know, it's sort of like construction. In order to build these really cool, really beautiful buildings, you have to tear something else down. You have to basically destroy the place first before you can actually build something really cool there. The problem is that you have a lot of rebels who are just simply into doing as much destruction as they can, and that's it. They don't really build anything, don't really create anything, don't really advance the cause of anything. They just simply go into destruction mode, and that's good enough for them. The problem, of course, is they forget to basically like chihuahuas. Nothing against chihuahuas. They're a really fun little dog. The problem is, and for purposes of our thing, is that they're a small dog that basically barks a lot. And let's get real, they're also the size of a football. So not only is it really easy to ignore them, but if they get too annoying, hey... You ever seen what happens when you boot a dog towards the field goal? Yeah, not trying to advocate any form of animal cruelty. But you gotta admit, if you have to get rid of something that's barking and you want, want to make a point, punting that thing is definitely a way to go. Now, every artist is going to go through various stages of those three beings. They're going to go through the person who wants to push the envelope. They're going to be playing it safe, or they're even going to basically just simply to attack just to attack. And to a certain degree, that's fine, as long as you learn something from it. You know, you don't want to be staying in any one of those particular phases for too particularly long, or you just simply aren't really going to be learning anything. The guy who pushes the envelope, yeah, he's always going to be taking risks, but when he doesn't have the skills to actually push the envelope because he doesn't understand what the rules are and what the rules that he's breaking are, yeah, it's going to be nasty, and it's going to be fast, and it's going to be furious, but it's not going to be really interesting after that. The person who's trying to keep it safe is going to be learning a lot, 
but at the same time, isn't going to be really applying any of that and isn't really going to be exploring what they can do. And of course, the rebel who just attack, well, they're just simply boring. I mean, I know how that's got to sound because let's get real, they're all sorts of fun. You know, you've got somebody in a punk rock clothes doing pretty much whatever they can to get rid of the establishment. And that's just they're really as exciting as it sounds because they're not really creating anything. They're just destroying, you know? They basically have to take that little bit of rebelliousness in there. And not only do you have to destroy something, but they also have to build something in its place or at least suggest that something can be built in its place. But you'll figure it out, you know? We're going to basically look at tonight a lot of different topics that, well, tend to get a little annoying just because, well, we'll cover that as we go. Before I start really getting into them, there's two major concepts I'm going to keep bringing up, so let's get the basic gist out of them here so I can, don't have to repeat them a lot of times later on. Just mention them a lot. The first is is the roller coaster concept. This is basically, well, if once you get to the top of a roller coaster and you start going down, going that really nasty hill down, you basically want to have a little bit of variety. Because let's get real, if you had nothing but loop-to-loops or turns or, you know, a lot more inclines, it's going to get boring. You basically just don't have the time to catch your breath, and so it's going to get really boring really quick. You know, I don't care how exciting loop-to-loop sound, if you hit 20 of them in a row, yeah, you're going to basically be going, what am I doing on this ride? You know, after like about the third or fourth one in. You know, if you need a little bit of variety, you need to basically have a chance to actually catch your breath and basically go on to something different. Not saying you given ride can't have like 20 different loop-to-loops it's just straight up if it has them all in the same row that's just going to be really boring really quick you have to keep in mind that when you're basically sitting up your roller coaster you want to have as much variety on that roller coaster as possible you want to have a couple of loop-to-loops thrown in by a couple of turns and maybe a quick t- hill you know and then basically going to maybe another loop-to-loop and into a spiral you know, you want to change it up and have a lot of fun with it. You don't want everything the same. Sort of another way of looking at it is, if I had a buffet, actually, let's take a step back. Let's take good old-fashioned lemon ring pies. I mean, let's get real. Everybody likes lemon ring pies. They're salt, salty. They're soury. They're sweet. They've got that big, huge thing of whipped cream on top that's got that nice toasted thing going on. I mean, not only do they look sort of fun, but they taste great as well, you know? Everybody loves lemon meringue pie, or at least most people do. However, if I were to have a shop that was nothing but lemon meringue pies, that's all I sold, and that's all I can create, let's get real, you wouldn't be going to that shop all that often. Yeah, we'd be doing some brisk business every so often, but the reality is that shop would probably close really quick. It's just straight up. If all they offered was lemon meringue, you'd get really bored of lemon meringue really quick, you know? That's why most shops don't just serve one type of pie. They serve pretty much everything you can think of if they're really doing it. You do apple, cherry. They do a couple of different rings. They do a couple of different types of tart, donut. You know, if you're doing a dessert shop, you're going to have a lot of different types of desserts there. You're not just going to have one thing all over the place. That's going to be an interesting concept we're going to keep coming back to because a lot of the stuff we're going to be talking about tonight are really great concept but if it's the only thing you're doing and you do a whole lot of it yeah you can pretty much figure out what's going to happen the other thing is is that you have to use things to affect that is if you want to use something you want to use it just once in a while because if you use it way too often well it's not going to have the effect you want yeah i know it's linked to the roller coaster effect 
But what we're basically looking at is that some people will not just simply have like one loop to loop 27 times in a row. What they'll do is they'll basically decide that, well, they basically will have mostly loop to loops or just break it up just a little bit. What I'm sort of looking at here and the reason I'm bringing in the roller coaster effect is because you need to keep in mind that whatever you're going to be doing in a story, you have to figure out a way to use it to effect if you're going to be using it effectively. You know, you don't just simply shoot everybody in the story because that's going to get boring really quick and get predictable. You need to change it up a little bit. And I'm not just talking about you shoot some people, you stab others. You want to limit to death as much as you possibly can. You want to make those deaths dramatic, you want to make them nasty, and you want to make them memorable. Because if you do nothing but death and you do basically a wholesale slaughter, well, it's going to get boring after a little while. It's just going to be like the loop-de-loop or the lemon ring. You know, it's going to be something you like and then you're going to get really bored of it and it's not going to quite have the effect you want to have. Yeah, there are going to be times when you basically want to make put everything to the point where it's actually going to get really boring. You know, you're going to want to basically do death upon death upon death just because you're trying to make the point that, well, some people have just gotten way too used to it and that's all they know. In that regard, that'll be fine. But if you're trying to actually use whatever the option we're talking about and actually make it effective, then you have to use it with a certain level of rarity. And we're going to have a lot of fun with that one. So here goes. All right, let's start off with good old-fashioned high school level mistakes. That is, when you're first getting into high school, you notice that if you want to shock your adults, all you have to do is basically throw in some nudity, some violence, and some good old-fashioned sex. It's just straight up. That's always going to be something that's going to be shocking, at least something you think is going to be shocking. And you're basically going to go into it and have as much fun as you possibly can with it. That's fine to a certain degree. What we're basically looking at is, first off, with violence. You're going to be basically going for as much gross-out, nasty violence as you possibly can. You're going to be looking at Saw and going, hey, can I do that better? And all you're going to basically do is throw in all these really nasty things that happen to people, and you're going to be as gross, and you're going to be as nasty, and you're going to be as absolutely violent as you possibly can. You're not just simply going to be going after good old-fashioned bullet wounds, or even knife wounds for that matter, but you're going to basically be showing all the nasty organs all over the place, blood splatters just to begin with, and you're basically going to start dealing with the anatomical lessons that basically no doctor would ever want to deal with in their entire life. I mean, we're talking stuff that you would be really fortunate to never see in an ER type of thing. You're basically looking at the kind of violence that you think is going to be ultra-shocking, and you're going to deliver this as much as you possibly can. Well, this is where you're going to run into the roller coaster effect really hard and really fast, because you're going to basically be throwing all this violence at everybody else, and you're not going to give them the time to actually breathe. All you're basically doing is throwing violence at them, and hopefully they basically keep getting shocked and shocked and shocked and go, oh my gosh, and possibly debate their own sanity. And you're going to find out real quick that people tend to get bored really quick when they get hit by a lot of violence really quick. It's not necessarily some sort of response or anything, it's just straight up. We know it's not real, and you're trying to throw as much weirdness at us as possible. And because we don't have a chance to recover from it, to actually imagine just how what had to happen for that to happen, it's just coming at us again and again and again in very fast succession. And yeah, people are going to get very bored very quickly. The problem is that if you want to make your violence work, you have to basically hit people with violence and then you have to back off and give them a chance to actually think about it. You have to give them a chance to actually, well, for the violence to actually register that it actually happened. Also consider going a little bit more subtle. 
that good old-fashioned slap across the face is sometimes actually more effective than basically tearing a person's head off with the same slap. And sometimes, even showing it off-panel or even just having it mentioned is actually a lot more effective than actually showing it. Because at that point, people are questioning what exactly really happened off-screen. You know, we've seen the effects. You know, we may see the hand print across the face. We may see the blood squirting from the neck point. You know, whatever. The bottom line is, is that we didn't actually see what actually caused that. And so there's a certain level of curiosity that is going to basically drive people a little bit crazy trying to figure out what exactly happened. And of course, if it's just something that's totally mentioned, hey, that's even better because, well, that's going to create a certain level of mystery. It's going to try to figure out what actually happened. And it's going to give you something you can write about a little bit later on to actually show what happened. Obviously, I'm not trying to say shy away completely from showing the really nasty stuff, but try to meter it out just a little bit, you know, put a little bit of break between it. Don't be afraid to try some more subtle stuff and occasionally just have a little bit of fun with it. Yeah, you're going to find that if you put some serious breaks between the various aspects of violence, you're going to find out that it's a lot more effective than if you did 20 scenes of violence row to row. You know, give me three or four good violent scenes with plenty of time between them and you're going to find that people are going to be responding very favorably to what you're doing. On the other hand, if you're trying to bore them and you're trying to do it in the grossest way possible, well, I guess you can go effective on that as well. Nudity, of course, is the other thing that people tend to use as shock. It's just, for some bizarre reason, they think that showing various genitalia and other organs is something that's going to shock people. They see a lot of it really quick. Yeah, it's not so much. Same with the violence. You know, if you see too much of it too quickly, it just becomes part of the background. If all you want to really do is basically draw naked women or naked guys or whatever, just do us all a favor, grab an empty notebook and go to town on it, you know? Just have fun with it in your own little private notebook and don't actually force us to watch. Because straight up, we're going to get bored really quick. Yeah, you need to sort of realize that a lot of people have already seen a lot of nudity. You know, we want to see nudity of our own gender. Hey, we just have to go to a locker room and we've got it all there. If we want to see something a little bit more interesting... You know, there are strip joints, and there's always going to be the internet. Let's get real. If we want to find naked bodies, the internet is going to help us, and nothing that. But, and it's going to basically be a little bit interesting in seeing drawings of it, you know? Now, if you're trying to show somebody who's jaded, who's bored, and still trying to be a hedonist, but not really doing very good at it, you know, sort of like a Caligula-type situation, then hey, go for it. Show us wall-to-wall naked bodies. Go for it. You know, have a little bit of fun with that in that regard. But realize that the effect you're basically engendering is blase. You're making us bored. And you're basically getting us into the type of personality that somebody who's bored of all this is going to be obviously going for. That's sort of cool if that's the effect you're going for. But if you're trying to basically use nudity to shock, same as the violence. Don't show it often. When you do show it, have some fun with it. And don't be afraid to, you know, censor it out just a little bit. Sometimes not showing everything is actually a lot more effective than showing everything. You know what I mean? So have some fun with it and experiment with it. And like I said, if all you want to do is draw naked bodies, just buy yourself a notebook, a pencil, and go for it, you know? And of course, all of this is going to apply to sex as well. Again, it's something people that see it as shocking and all of a sudden deliver too much of it, and it really gets boring. It's a weird concept, but even if you get really graphic and really gross and start playing with some of the stuff that isn't exactly standard fare, yeah, it's basically going to get really boring really quick. I mean, straight up, if you want to use it to effect, again, use it as little as possible. 
use it for a symbolic effect and have a little bit of fun with it, but don't get too crazy about showing us everything that's going on. Sometimes just seeing the start and seeing the finish is enough. Sometimes just hearing that it happened off camera, so to speak, is more than enough. You know, we don't actually have to see it. And if you want to use it effectively, you're going to have to figure out a way to actually have a little bit of fun with combining showing it all the way, showing just basics what happened, and actually just mentioning it off camera. If you master those three techniques, it's going to go a long way towards making you a really great writer. But if you only rely on the violence, the sex, and the nudity for a shock value, and you basically give it to people over and over again, it's just going to be really boring, no matter how graphic, no matter how nasty, no matter how weird it gets. So keep that in mind when you start trying to have a little bit of fun with that kind of stuff. You know? Just please. Otherwise, like I said, sometimes critics will go for it, sometimes it'll work, sometimes it won't. You know, if you want to see a case that really worked well, look at uh, John and Vizquez. You know, guy who did uh, Johnny, the homicidal maniac. A very effective way, but that's because the violence was a stand-in for a social metaphor. You know, he was trying to basically satirize certain social situations, and by going ultra-violent, by taking him that far over the envelope, he was able to actually make some really good points. Same with uh, Robert Crumb, another really great comic artist who decided to push the envelope a lot. And of course, the way he did this was he basically started having a lot of fun with body shapes and nudity and all that. And because of that, by showing that level of realism, by showing people at their ugliest, he was able to make a lot of really great points. So obviously, I'm not saying don't do it. What I'm saying is, if you are going to do it, be aware of why you're doing it and actually try to use it for some sort of actual effect, you know? Obviously, once you graduate high school, you're going to be in college, and this means that you're going to graduate from all those, and you're basically going to start looking at more stuff to play around with. For most people, this is going to be swearing and sinning. Sinning is pretty obvious. It just means you're breaking taboos. You're going to be breaking taboos all the time and having some fun with it. The problem is that what we're looking at here is when you start taking it to an extreme. When you start going heavy into grim, dark, and you basically have people doing nothing but sex and violence and basically backstabbing each other. And yeah, you're trying to basically show just how evil society is, and how well about time evil is going to take over and society is going to crumble. And, you know, we're pretty much already there. For our purposes, the problem isn't that you're showing all these major sins happening. The problem is, is that you're basically not giving anybody a chance to breathe and actually, well basically figure out what's going on in your world. You just have people basically screwing each other over, sometimes literally. Newsflash. Yeah, we get it. We know that life is noise there. We know there's problems in life, and we know there's a lot of people that we really prefer not to have to deal with. That's fine. You know, you can actually show that. You can actually have a lot of fun with that. And if I'm reading something like, say, A Gritty, Nasty World, that's definitely noirish, and basically really people aren't really all that great hey once in a while it's fun to actually play around with that if you want to see some really great stuff check down the wild card series or the sanctuary you know these are some really great novels that are well i know they're shared world stuff but they nonetheless pretty much explore just how nasty people can get so i'm not saying don't go for it what i am saying is that if you're going to have people basically breaking all these taboos you need to go one of two ways you need to basically either have some sort of light at the end of the tunnel. Otherwise, even if it's flickering, have some sort of light at the end of the tunnel. Have something that people, that readers are actually going to be searching for. Or just nuke everything. You know, you've got all these people that are basically not nice or self-sabotaging each other. You know, screw it. 
let society collapse and show us that collapse. We need to have that act. We need to have that happen. There's part of us in seeing that, hey, you got all this evil. Why is it being left to continue? Yes, downright biblical, but have some fun with it. The other thing to consider here is that while you're showing all these evil people, there are some times where you can actually have people that are, well, pretty much not nice people, but at the same time, they have some sort of aspect of the personality that's actually worth redeeming. Consider the mob boss, for example. Yeah, this guy's into drugs. He's into sex. He's into murder. But he's basically a nice guy. You know, you want to share a meal with him? Good. You want to have him over you a favor? Excellent. I mean, he's definitely the guy you want to have little favors. You know, the bottom line is, is that this guy wants the world to be a better place when he's done. He's got no problem acting as a local, well, enforcer, you know, making sure that if somebody basically rapes somebody's daughter or kills somebody's son, that person's going to be punished. But at the same time, like I said, he's knee-deep, or actually he's probably more like shoulders-deep in everything criminal going on in the area. He is, by the definition, an evil person. He just simply has to have a very optimistic outlook on things. And that's cool. That's a three-dimensional character. Yeah, it's a paradox on legs, but it's a fun paradox on legs. And yeah, I know it's also a bit of a cliche, but let's just go with it. And then, of course, you obviously have your various anti-heroes. You know, let's look at your good old-fashioned Punisher. You know, this is somebody who's going out, he's killing everything left and right, and that's actually sort of what we like. We like seeing evil punished. That's exactly what the, well, Punisher obviously does. But in order to do stuff, he has obviously to kill people, he needs to torture people, and he needs to steal from people. None of those are what you'd call really great character traits. But nonetheless, because he's doing all this violence, it's nice and cathartic for us because we're seeing evil punished. So we're all for it. You have to do basically the same thing. Again, show people doing all this nasty stuff, but either destroy everything or give us some sort of light in the tunnel. And notice I'm not saying the light has to be solid and bright. I'll accept flickering. Heck, I'll accept it ends up being a mirror reflecting light off the light behind these people. I can live with that as long as I have some sort of hope to look for. And if your leaders don't have that same hope, they're basically going to toss your story right over their shoulder without a second glance. Just something to consider. The other thing you're going to be having a little bit of fun with, obviously, is swearing. Obviously, you've seen the latest Quentin Tarantino movie where they do pretty much nothing but swear. They carpet in bomb, and they basically, yeah, this would not be a thing a censor would want to deal with when it comes to trying to translate this thing to TV. The problem is that Swearing is sort of fun, don't get me wrong, but you want to try to avoid it as much as possible for all the reasons we talked about. You want to basically go two routes. Yeah, you're basically going to want to have somebody who's going to be swearing like a comma. Obviously, this is ex-military or ex-street, or possibly still is, and never really learned social night to tease when it came to his language. That's cool. Once in a while, you need a character like that. But at the same time, you need to realize that if everybody's swearing like that and just going to get real annoying really quick, you know, we're actually going to have to need subtitles if they swear way too much. I mean, yeah, it's sort of fun to watch a Quentin Tarantino movie every so often, don't get me wrong. But when it hits the point that you're needing subtitles to understand what people are saying when they're not swearing, yeah, that's a problem. So try to keep that in mind when you got this wearing. The other option you've got, and this is a really cool version, if you can actually figure it out, is to start looking at Shakespeare hardcore. Because let's get real, Shakespeare has some really great insults. 
I mean, this is a guy who can actually have an entire scene where he has nothing but two people insulting each other, and it's fun to watch. And that's something you actually want to try for. You know, you want to have two people who can go balls to the walls doing nothing but cutting each other down, and it's fun to watch. You, you can pull that trick off. If you can get that level of actual swearing, hey, you're good to go. I mean, straight up. I really think that if Shakespeare was alive today, he'd have absolutely no problem winning a rap battle. He's got the rhythm for it. He's got the intelligence for it. And he's got the quick wit for it. It'd be fun to watch at the very least. But again, just like our first couple of subjects, swearing and singing is really cool because you're trying to use it for shock value. And because of that, the same rules apply to it that do the others. If you're trying to basically show that somebody's tired and basically run down, then hey, just have all the sinning happening around them and have all the swearing happening around them. And they've hit the point where it's just boring to them. They've gotten jaded from it. It doesn't really matter to them. Because straight up, your audience is going to be pretty much in the same way. You know, they're just simply going to be really bored and, of all the swearing and all the bad stuff happening. And they're going to basically be run down just like your characters. You want to have your characters be sympathetic in that direction if you possibly can. That actually can work and actually is pretty cool. But at the same time, unless you're ready to go for that and actually be ultra-depressing and actually figure out a way to spring that back into life, yeah, you want to try to avoid that, not have as much of that as you can. You know, show a couple of things of it that's really shocking and it really works. Do it continuously, and well, yeah, it's just like rolling a really boring roller coaster. Now, at some point in time, you're going to basically get tired of trying to shock people and actually try to, well... Do something about it, you know? You're going to basically get a little bit more politically active. All of a sudden, you're going to try to basically put into your story major political themes and try to have a little bit of fun with it. The problem is, is that when it comes to political themes, way too many people do stuff that is just way too, well, heavy-handed. You know, they just simply, just like a lot of the other stuff we've been talking about, they tend to go a little overboard with it and expect it to have some sort of actual effect. Unfortunately, the problem is, is that by going overboard, just like everything else, they tend to inoculate people, and it just really doesn't quite have the effect. In fact, it even falls flat if they're lucky, and nine times out of ten, it'll actually have the exact opposite effect. You know, if you're trying to get somebody to experience some sort of social change and you get way too heavy-handed about it, all of a sudden they're going to be trying to basically cut your ideas down big time just because you approached it way too wrong. Sometimes, yeah, you want to go after it with a nuke, but sometimes the chisel is going to be a lot more effective. When it comes to doing political messages, the chisel is definitely going to be oh so much more effective than a nuclear warhead. And you've got to sort of keep that in mind when you start doing your political messaging. Otherwise, like I said, it's going to have pretty much the exact. You want to basically do something that's to basically build up the gay community and show how great these gay people are and just show that gay people really are just like normal people, even if they have a slightly different interest in various areas. Yeah, you're going to actually end up causing homophobia. You're going to be that effective at it. So just something to consider before you start heading into the political arena. What this means is you're going to have to do a lot more showing than telling. You're basically going to be showing people in actual what they're actually doing. You know, you want to try to avoid hitting with stacks and just basically go, you know, nine times out of ten, this is what happens, or this is a real shame because people are down, you know, they're only making 70%, or whatever. You actually want to show the effects of it. You don't necessarily want to tell. 
the more statistics, the more texts you get, it's just going to be really boring really quick and people aren't really going to get the message. In fact, nine times out of 10, they'll actually rebel against it. You want to show the actual people. Don't get too crazy with it, but just show them. Like I said, you don't want to hit people over the head with a sledgehammer. You attack people way too often, they're going to start defending and start attacking back. That's not what you want. You want people to sympathize with your characters. You want to see them as relatively regular, just with a little twist. You know, you want to see these people as they actually are. You don't want to make them into saints. You want to make them into sinners. You just want to have them as actual people. And you're going to find that's a lot more effective than building them up into these big, huge martyrs for the cause who died. No, you just want to have somebody who's having a problem getting a pizza. That's going to be a lot more effective than any, pretty much anything else you can really do. It's not as flashy. It's a lot more subtle. But at the same time, you're going to be able to show all the problems a lot more well, a lot more intimately. You're going to have a little bit more fun with it. And the bottom line is, you're actually going to get people that are going to be sympathetic to the actual cause. On the other hand, if you hit someone with a tactical nuke, yeah, they're pretty much not going to be interested at that point. You know? And whatever you do, do not follow in the steps of what they did with Iceman. And yeah, I'm talking when they took the younger version and turned him into a gay character. There's ways to do it that's right, and there's ways to do it that's just, oh my gosh, what were they thinking type of things. And this is definitely that latter. First off, you had to basically learn he was gay, not because of his own personal experiences or because of stuff that he himself was doing, but because a teenage girl told him he was gay. Now here's where I asked the really stupid question. Exactly what frame of reference did that 16-year-old girl have that she could actually tell the difference between a straight boy and a gay boy and it being a teenager. I mean, I know that's me on a soapbox, but the reality is, and I'm not trying to say that there aren't gay teenagers, but at the same time, there's a lot of teenagers who are pretty much questioning their identity, and that should be seen as acceptable. You know, there are going to be times when, in order to figure out who you really are, you have to question who you are, and what you are, and what you're planning to do with your life. You need to be asking those questions, and you're the one who needs to provide the answer. On the other hand, have somebody from out of the blue tell you this is what you are, and then you expect it to have an effect because that person is just as well at the same grade level you are, where you're both trying to figure things out, just feels all sorts of wrong. It's a really great character concept as far as making one of the original X-Men's gay, don't get me wrong. And I'm not trying to say that's in and of itself bad. What I'm trying to do is basically say, how did Marvel Girl come up with the concept even though it's beyond her experience, you know? And then in the actual miniseries, they basically had him have a romance, but it had nothing to do with the actual plot. You know, he basically had this run really cool romance. All this really cool stuff happened in the romance, but it had absolutely nothing to do with the overall plot that it was featured in. It's just, at that point, you're basically trying to hit people over the head, and it's just not going to work. You have to go in the concept that you're going to have to try to be best, not necessarily first. If the characters work and you can actually throw a lot of diversity into it, excellent. But if all you're doing is basically having characters be this particular type just because you want that particular type in there, don't even bother. I mean, straight up. Obviously, I'm trying to... If you follow me on Facebook, if you follow me pretty much everywhere, you know I'm incredibly pro-diversity. So I'm not trying to justify that. What I am basically trying to say is that You as a writer need to realize that everything you put into your stories is a tool. 
It's Chekhov's Gun 101. You know, if you bring something up, odds are you're going to be using it at some point in time. So straight up, if you're going to bring in the character's gay, or if the character's Arabian, or if the character's lesbian, or whatever, you need to figure out some way that that's actually going to be expressed in the story. Otherwise, just having a character walk around with crosses, or onks, or whatever, isn't enough. Yeah, it's a really cool character design concept, but unless you're actually willing to go the distance and actually have some fun with that kind of stuff, you know, what would a character who is Egyptian god-based actually do in the modern world, you know? If they're basically into Isis and Ra and Set, Thoth and all them, exactly what would their mindset be? And I bet you anything would be close to Buddhist based on various concepts. But the bottom line is, is that unless you're actually willing to explore all that, you know, don't really write it in there. Talk to your artist, figure out some interesting character designs, but make sure that you're only going to put stuff in there that you're actually going to use. Otherwise, all you're doing is basically gilding the lily, and you don't want to do that. You know, you don't want to basically put more details in there if you're just putting them in there to have be there. Otherwise, you're going to end up offending somebody, and odds are it's going to be offending the very person you're trying to help, which I know is a certain level of irony, but it's got to be an irony you're going to have to probably be willing to deal with because, well, you did it. You set it up. You put Chekhov's gun into motion. So, hey, at that point, they're going to be questioning why you put that particular thing in there if you had no intention of doing anything more than just showing it one time. Who cares, you know? So, be diverse. Be politically correct, but use it to affect just like everything else we've been talking about. And while we're talking politics, the same is going to apply going after authority. A lot of writers make one major mistake when it comes to authority, and that's that they basically figure smashing all authority is a good thing. And generally, they'll go after the military, religion, or, well, presidents, and that sort of thing. The reality is, is that a lot of people shouldn't be going after authority because they really don't know how th things work. I mean, it's just straight up. The big problem with being human is that we basically look through authority for some reason or another. We basically ask questions of teachers. We have times when we actually do want the police to actually be in charge of, well, protecting us. It's just... Straight up, there's going to be a lot of weird situations when it comes to trying to just smash authority just for the sake of smashing authority. Yeah, it sounds like it's going to work. You want it to really work, and trust me, a lot of times everybody else wants it to work as well. But the problem is that making fun of authority is one thing, actually trying to smash it down is another. And generally speaking, well, you want to sort of be in a position where you're pretty much smacking it around rather than actually destroying it. You're going to find that a lot of the institutions we have are going to be around for a long time. And the reason they're set up isn't because they're necessarily bad institutions, but because some of the people within them are bad. And it's just straight up. Sometimes we actually do need those institutions for one thing or another. I mean, a lot of people actually do like religion because, well, it gives them some hope. It gives them some soul. It's somewhere for them to go when they need sanctuary. Other people like the military for, well, ironically, pretty much the same reason. You know, it's constant is pretty much unchanging, and they can count on pretty much anything that happens. And of course, as far as government goes, well, we always know it's going to be there in one form or another. You're always going to have somebody who's going to be asserting control over the situation, either because they've actually got legitimate authority or because they think they can. The problem is that if you want to attack the people who think they can, go for it. But at the same time, when you start going after an authority figure, make sure that the reason you're going after it isn't just because they represent authority. 
Yeah, I know this is a really weird one, and this is a really weird soapbox to be on, but especially considering my love of Mark Twain. But the key is that you have to realize that when you start going after an authority figure, you have to have a reason for going after them, and you have to basically be willing to realize that sometimes you're going to have to put something in place with that person. This is what, going back to what I was saying about the rebel. You don't want just to attack and destroy things just because you can attack and destroy things. That's not really all that interesting. On the other hand, by attacking something, by destroying it a little bit, by building something in its place, on the other hand, by showing that there actually is something better out there, that's worth going for. So straight up, if you want to attack religion, go for it. If you want to go after the military, go for it. If you want to go after government, definitely go for it. But keep in mind that anything... Of these major institutions you basically get rid of, you're going to have to replace with something. And that's going to be all sorts of interesting to see what you replace it with. So just keep that in mind when you start going after authority. Go ahead and destroy it a little bit, but you're going to have to be a problem with trying to keep it down because it's going to come back one way or another. It always does, unfortunately. So that's just something you need to sort of keep in mind when it comes to being a rebel. Sometimes you're just going to have to sell for just having made fun of it, and that's it. I mean, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Look at Mark Twain. Look at how much uh, he was able to have fun with it. And the guy's pretty much still well-known because of the way he took on authority and had some fun milling it. I mean, heck, he even took on the slavery trade. And, well, yeah, just have some fun with it. Don't necessarily treat it as something that's a necessary enemy. Treat it as a necessary evil if you have to. Definitely go after it if you want to. I'm not going to prevent you. Back, I sort of encourage, which is sort of weird. But eventually, you're going to get past the politics and you're going to head straight into good old fashioned weird. Yeah, a lot of people head here and it can get really weird really quick. The problem is that whereas some people are really good at it, you know, Pica- Pablo Picasso is probably the great here as well as Salvador Dali. And heck, let's look at John Waters while we're at it. You know, you can have a lot of fun with being straight weird. But at the same time, you've got people who throw weirdness because they think they can. And nine times out of ten, it doesn't work so well. If you want to see a really cool webcomic that has some fun with it, look up the Dresden Kodak. It's just straight up. It's everything you'd want to see in a webcomic going after weirdness and having a lot of fun with it. The problem is, though, is that when a lot of people use weirdness in their comics, they use the weirdness, but they don't use anything to actual effect. Notice a trend here if you haven't already. And because of that, the weirdness just becomes, well, silly. It, it's sort of like being a really bad adult swim cart, you know? You've got some really great stuff. I heavily recommend Super Jail. Yeah, I know. Ultra-violent, ultra-silly, ultra-weird, definitely going after authority, and it's all sorts of worth watching. But then you've got other stuff. <laughs> just stuff that makes absolutely no friggin' sense. They're just being weird just to be weird. And the problem with that is that if you're going to be using anything in the story, you have to have some sort of reason for being there. You want to throw in Cthulhu and the entire Cthulhu mythos? Definitely go for it, but make sure there's a reason they're actually being used. You know, there's a lot of really cool things about the Cthulhu mythos once you get past certain things about Lovecraft. But once you do, you've got some really great stuff, you've got some really great logic twisters, and you basically have this really creeping, well, horror. It's just really cool, unknowing, eldritch horror that's just all sorts of scary. So if you can figure it out and you can have some fun with it, definitely go for the weird fact. But don't throw it in just because, oh cool, I can be weird, you know? Like everything else we said, use it to affect as much as possible. 
Use it like you would any other tool and have some fun with it, but don't pick it up unless you're actually willing to use it. So there we are. When I as a critic look at stuff, and I start seeing a lot of stuff being used over and over and over just for the sake of being used, that is somebody's actually trying to use it for shock value or just to basically show that they can use it. Yeah, I'm going to get really bored really quick and I'll let everybody else know. And I'll actually back up while I'm basically going after it that way. So if you want to basically make a really good comic, consider using this stuff, like I said, but only use it to effect. Don't use it just for the sake of, let's see how much of this stuff we can put into one comic and go at it from there. You know, if you're going to push the envelope, know what the envelope you're pushing is. If you're going to basically be exploring stuff on your own, know that everything is out there to explore and then have a little bit of fun with it. If you're going to basically go rebellion, you know, definitely attack things, but also make sure you're building stuff up. If all you're doing is pushing the envelope, or you're staying with the herd, or you're basically deciding to simply attack to see what kind of damage you can do, it's not going to be fun reading. It's, in all honesty, if you're trying to make some sort of message, you're actually going to probably do more damage against the message rather than that thing you're trying to actually attack. So have fun with it. You know, use the stuff you've got there. Use it just like you would any other tool. Make sure you use it, but make sure you use it to effect. I haven't made that point cross by now i'm not really sure how to do it it's just have fun with it this is arguably one of my biggest pet peeves as a critic is that you see some really some really cool stuff out there but they tend to go a little too far sometimes they go way too far and sometimes they basically hitch it up to a freaking rocket and just go for it don't be one of those people know what you're doing know why you're using it and then use it to whatever kind of effect you possibly can I hope this has helped. For those interested in supporting this podcast, please check us out over at patreon.com slash twosparrows. We have many casts, a few extra tips and tricks here and there, an edited version of interviews that include all the swearing as well as a little bit longer, as well as an actual episode of this podcast that has yet to be aired anywhere else. Also check us out over at YouTube where we have curated playlists where all the various podcasts have been broken down into various different types of sections such as world building, business, marketing, writing, etc. As well as additional mini casts as well well as the Alexa briefs. And definitely check us out over on Facebook. This allows you not only to comment on the various videos, but also catch up on a few other things as well. 